Good evening, boys and girls, and those who lie between. Welcome to After the Plot, where we bring you the stories that you didn't know you didn't know. I am your host, Good Job Lacey. And I am your co-host, Nolan Lacey. So, it's been uh, quite a whirlwind month for us, hasn't it, Robert? It, it's Nolan, and yes, it, it has. We found quite a sweet story that we really weren't expecting to see. No, we weren't, we weren't. Uh, we ran into um, quite an investigative adventure, um, and we happened to come across a, a detective who, who really didn't sugarcoat anything. He gave it to us straight, didn't he? Oh, yes. You know, uh, the, the detective that we found really had quite a lot to say about the industry that we did our deep dive into this week, and, and someday that will probably catch up to him. Possibly. Something that always surprises me when we go into these stories is, you know, you and I have a good eye for looking for interesting stories to bring to our listening audience, and I'm always surprised with the level of detail that we end up reporting on, like how, how deep these stories go. It's always, it's always a lot more than I expected. I don't know if that's the same for well, you. That's, you know, that's, that's one of those things. Sometimes when you light the cane field on fire, it, uh, it sends up a big signal flare. And we uh, really fell into that one. We, we just, we saw the smoke and ran headlong into the fire. At first, I thought that this story was, you know, it was progressing as slow as molasses. But it really did pick up speed as, as we got further and further along. Uh, staggeringly so. I, I, I really was starting to get the jitters when we got deeper into it. it 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 just came on so quickly that uh it was it was like a shot to the heart so let's give a, a little bit of backstory before we we dive into the the main part of the show here we we you know we're always and after the plot here we're always looking for interesting stories to to bring the listening audience things that you might have not thought about before and you know my my, my co-host donald and i when we were looking it's, at it's nolan it's nolan what, um, when we were looking into the next month's episode, um, we, we figured we'd take a take a glance at you know something in in the world of health or pub, public health and and how um, people, especially children these days, are are affected by this industry that we got into. You know, it's it's all about the next generation. It's mm-hmm. about making sure that they're taken care of, and uh, you know we're really doing a disservice in how we feed them and 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 what we're putting into their bodies. You know, almost without their consent, honestly. Mm-hmm. It's almost as if we're giving them things to hook them onto the products that we want them to continue buying. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, this obviously this has come up before when you talk about, uh, you know, the tobacco industry. Um, recently in, in my home state, they raised the minimum age of purchasing tobacco products from 18 to 21. And what home state is that? Oh, it's the same one that I was in uh, last time. And one of the things that really struck me there was, you know, we see in this case uh, a hand of government, and I don't necessarily say a heavy hand, but a hand of government, you know, regulating certain products. Um, and some people might disagree with that regulation, but, you know, when you think about it, at the end of the day, it's, it's really just about trying to help the most people live the healthiest life that they can. Sometimes, though, life needs to be a little sweeter. And, uh, you know, maybe maybe regulation is there to uh, lower the cost for certain things to make sure that uh, everyone has 
the freedom to choose. I think I, I agree. I think it really has to do with choice at the end of the day. You know, it's good to be presented with choices, but, you know, occasionally people might need a little help making the right choice. So uh, why don't we, uh, we take a jump into this month's story and let people choose for themselves about um, how they feel about this industry that we have uncovered so much of. Sure, sure, sounds good. Determining how to start something is the most difficult part of the task. The way in which you start something can have a lasting effect. Growing up though, starting my Sunday was never a difficult decision. It usually involves some cartoons, maybe some comics as I got a little older, but always a big bowl of delicious, crunchy cereal. My mother always insisted on skim milk, a travesty I didn't realize until college, but that's a story for another time. I never really took time to appreciate my breakfast. Not only were the crunchy bits sweet and tasty, maybe covered in cinnamon or a rich chocolate flavor, but they represented a complex history and social structure as well. And I probably would have never learned this if I hadn't run into Detective oh, yeah. Mills. I mean, I've seen all sorts of cases. <clears throat> you name it. Supervillain hostage negotiations, hyperdimensional tribe wars, all of it. But... Uh... This case was, uh, it was different. Lieutenant Mills was investigating one of the biggest scandals to hit the breakfast cereal scene since Kellogg started shooting hot water up his... Uh, never mind. Needless to say, it was an event which reeled the community and sent ripples through many social circles. A member of the Brotherhood of Cereal Mascots was a murdered. Child mascot for Life Cereal, Mikey, found dead in his home last the Friday. The scene was a gruesome crime, only leading to more questions das than answers. mascot Mikey, where the letzte Woche in seinem Haus tot aufgefunden was the poster child for the breakfast cereal life in the 1970s. La investigación. It was one of the worst crime scenes that I, I have worked at. Mills agreed to speak with After the Plot over the phone during the course of our reporting. And, and you could even see some premeditation. When the body had been discovered, I'm not sure if I really should tell you this, but we found a note made out of cut-out cereal box letters that read, Turns out Mikey doesn't like life. It was something just... It was just something beyond diabolical. As the investigation began, it started like any other routine murder mystery. The crime scene was combed over meticulously. Any and all clues were categorized, cataloged, and catacombed. But when Mill's team began looking at suspects and motives, things spiraled out of Once hand. Once we delved deeper was how tight-knit a community the breakfast cereal mascots are. It wasn't as if they were all sticking up for each other, it's just that there are so many connections between everyone. It's like... It's like looking for a specific thread from an entire spider web. The team uncovered three main possible motives for Mikey's murder. The first was money. It was not a mystery that Mikey circulated in some pretty iffy crowds and owed some dangerous people a lot of money. The second was revenge. 
With such a complicated network of serial mascots, it wouldn't be unheard of if someone trying to pin Mikey's death on a rival mascot and hoping to drive them out of the business. The third possible motive was just plain racism. It is true, although it's not really talked about. There's a big rift in the serial community between human mascots and non-human mascots. Sometimes the violence can come to a head and we get in messes like this. Part 1. The Good Mills told me that Mikey had been involved with other human mascots back in the day, namely a couple of older guys named Wendell, Quello, and Bob, otherwise known as the Cinnamon Toast Bakers. These guys had been around for a while, and all three of them had served hard times somewhere along the line. But the Bakers themselves weren't suspects. Instead, it was their rival gang, the younger and more brash Rice Krispies gang. Ugh, Snap. Snap, Crackle, and Pop, really. At least one of these guys was always in and out of here. They just seemed to love causing chaos. They couldn't keep to themselves. When they moved into town, initially there was nearly a gangland war between the two. But they seem to have established their own territory since then, but it's, it's never truly over for them. Although lately they seem to have dropped off the radar, we, we really haven't had any run-ins with them in a couple of weeks. Who knows, maybe they finally settled down. While the Crispies were suspects, the cops didn't have enough hard evidence to keep them beyond a day, and they were soon back out on the streets. We had a few contact numbers for them and reached out for comment, but any time we called, we only got some weird crackling static. The Cinnamon Toast Bakers, however, were more than happy to speak with us. We found them volunteering one Sunday afternoon at a soup kitchen on the Upper South Side. We spoke with them in the serving line as they dished up lunches for some of the city's disadvantaged. Yeah, sure, I think the Krispies did it. They've been trying to take us down for years. Yeah, here you go, buddy. We was tight with little Mikey back in the day. We even made him an honorary baker. Yeah, here you go. Next. Anyway, them Krispies, they could have easily killed Mikey and set it up to look like us. Ever since they came to town, nothing but trouble. But it wasn't us, you see. The CTB don't kill. That's our motto, sonny. CTB don't kill. Hey guys, how you doing? I ain't seen you all week. Yeah, come on in. The next suspect on Mill's list was also unavailable for comment, but we dug around a little and found someone who could help us paint a picture of the sad bird story. The suspect was named Sam, a famous toucan. But it was Sonny, his estranged lover, who spoke with us. Well, we first met in rehab. We both had a problem. I was nearly cuckoo for the puffs, and Sam, well, he just always followed his nose, if you get what I'm saying. You mean cocaine? No. Fruit Loops, kid. Ooh. Oh. Sonny and Sam dated for years, both helping the other stay clean, but their relationship just it wasn't was meant to be. First, like finding the milk left out on the counter, or seeing multicolored crumbs in the sink the next morning. But soon it got worse. I could tell he was in full relapse. 
He wouldn't even bother to hide it. Empty bowls everywhere, clear cellophane bags sticking out of the trash can. Finally, one day I, I came home and he, he... He had a room full of younger toucans with him and they were just... <laughs> I mean, it was bowl after bowl after bowl and I just... I, I told him he had to go. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I, I, I can't. Sonny went on to tell me that the relationship did not end on a clean note. Sam began sending aggressive texts to Sonny on a regular basis, soon escalating it to threatening voicemails. You two-face! I can't believe you'd kick me out over something so small! It's ridiculous! I don't have a problem! And I can quit any time! And I'm sick of you trying to baby me like I can't handle it! You watch your back, you backstabber. Stay on your side of town or else I'll follow my nose and kick you in the f***ing bitch. Eventually, Sonny became scared for his life and went to the cops. Uh, he had a restraining order put into place. Toucan Sam had to stay 50 yards away from Sonny at all times, but that didn't stop the harassment. We were friends with Mikey for years, especially before we went into rehab. He hung out with us on a couple of good weekend cereal benders. The man could really hold his cereal. I wouldn't be surprised if Sam tried to frame me for murder, but of our own dear friend Mikey? It's just, I didn't think Mikey would ever end up being a casualty of our disastrous relationship. Part 2, The Bad At this point, we began to see why Detective Mills was overwhelmed with the case. Mikey was such a prominent figure in the serial circle that nearly anyone else in the circle could have had some motive for getting rid of the child star. The next suspect on the list was particularly disturbing. It stemmed from a recent lawsuit which had resulted from some of Mikey's very Tony own whistleblowing. He had before a judge today to be indicted on sexual harassment charges. Tony the Tiger, verde hoita for einem richtiger wegen sexueller belästigung, angeklagt. Turned out that he had helped cover up a culture of abuse and intimidation Using his position years. as a coach to maintain a power differential I mean, with all of the players. You see things like this happen, and I, I mean, this guy, he went down hard. He lost his wife, he lost his job, he lost his house. You know, rock bottom. You gotta wonder what a man... You gotta wonder what a tiger will do when he's got nothing to lose. You mean, you think the tiger killed Mikey? No, 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 nothing like that. No, hardly. Tony's no killer, but that doesn't mean he wouldn't want Mikey dead. Uh, we think he may have actually hired the captain. Captain Crunch. The guy was ex-military and suffered pretty badly from PTSD. Rumor was, he was a contract killer who could go into battle if the price was right. And that, in his mind, he never really left the war. We reached out to Tony to get his side of the story, and he agreed to speak with us under one condition, that his lawyer be present, and do most of the I'm talking. I'm Joseph Better III, and I represent Mr. Tiger with the law offices of Better, 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 and Better. Thank you both for agreeing to talk to us. Um, we were looking into the case of Little Mikey. We talked for quite some time. Tony was very open and transparent about his past, and how he had been trying to set things right. 
He was adamant, though, that he had nothing to do with Mikey's death. never stoop so low as to have someone killed. Mr. Tiger has made some mistakes in the past, and now he's facing them head on. After a long talk, it became clear that Tony was more sad than angry about how things had turned out with his friend Mikey. I asked him about so the case. So what do you think the odds are that they're going to find the true killer? They're While Mikey was known to live a pretty clean public life, if you dug a little deeper, it was easy to see that his life was anything but wholesome. In fact, if you knew where to look, you could often find him at many of the city's listen, serial right, clubs listen. on the underground scene. There's nothing stopping you guys from going in and asking questions at some of these places, but I don't know, guys. I mean, when we go, we usually bring most of an entire unit, and the SWAT guys honestly are never far behind, just in case. These serial clubs, they just... They get to be dicey places, guys. We thanked Detective Mills for his help and transparency in our reporting, and headed out. When we come back, we delve into the soft, mushy underbelly that is the soggy cereal of the town. The underground breakfast cereal scene. Hi y'all, I'm Dan the Dan Man Man, here for Big Sugar! I'm here to tell y'all that sugar goes on just about damn everything. Put it on your toast. Okay. Put it in your coffee. Mmm. Put it in your food. Um. Put it on your dog. What? Put it in your enemy's eyes to ensure victory in battle. Psh, ow, my eye. Put it in your... In your where? Mouth. Oh. Remember y'all, sugar is a good source of your daily carbohydrates. It gets stored as fat when you eat more than you need, so you can continue on enjoying that sweet satisfaction for days to come. Eat the cereal, y'all. Eat the cereal. Thanks, everybody, for joining us again after our commercial break. Uh, we are are coming to you know the the first part of our conclusion of our story, but you know some of those characters, those mascots that we met were extremely colorful to to put it delicate i was really struck by the sad story of of sunny there just the more and more we talked to him the more i, I got drawn in and really felt for the uh, for the bird you know about his his really rough relationship that he's been through and you know his his story is not completely uncommon in the cereal industry you you have sunny the bird and uh you know no one really talks about toucan sam's nephews a whole lot but mm -hmm. You know, they, they have some pretty strong out relationships with their friends because of their uncle. Yeah. Um, you, you know, there's there's the, the polar bear. Everyone thinks of Tony the Tiger, but, there, you know, there are polar bears out there for Frosted Flakes, mm. uh, the, the generic brand. And they were pretty big for a while. And uh, if I remember correctly, Tony, Tony incorporated them in some of his misdeeds. But uh, that that got swept under the rug. You know what they say about the the rich and the powerful. They they know how to make things disappear. I really think it speaks to how how aware those those polar bears are of the the delicate nature of the situation. You know, a lot of them kind of backed out right when things started to get a little hairy with with Tony the Tiger there. 
Um, but I, 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 you know, the guy's got his, his faults, and he, and he's he's paying penance, and he's and he's living up to, uh, he's he's manning up. Well, he's tigering up to the error of his ways, and I, and I think it was really big of him to come to the table and, and talk to us. Um, it, it it was. He's you know he's making a, a good impression to the rest of the world for the serial community. Um, hopefully, we don't get you know, Slappy the Frog to undo all of the uh, the things that he has done and worked so hard to to change that perspective. Yeah, yeah. I especially like speaking with uh, with our lawyer friend there. You know, uh, the law offices of Better, 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 and Better really are just some of the best lawyers that money can buy. Um, they will defend people to the absolute extreme uh, you know, this isn't a paid advertisement. Uh, you know, we, we have just run into them on so many different cases that uh, we've really become quite good friends with them. Uh-huh. And I think it's good to, you know, bring this all together about the main story that we set out to research about the, you know, the dangers of sugary cereal and overconsumption. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, like everything's okay in moderation, I suppose. Well, well, you know, you just got to take it one step at a time. Mm-hmm. And from what I understand, uh, little Mikey's son actually has a class action lawsuit. Oh yeah, against what? Against Big Sugar, but hmm. I mean, who would want to do that? Not me. The Crispy. After we got everything we were going to get from Detective Mills, we decided to blaze our own trail. We asked the Cinnamon Toast Bakers if they could point us in the right direction, and they did, hesitantly. Yeah, I'll give you the number, but uh, you sure you guys want to be going down there? After a few calls, we had our meeting set up. We were going to meet two prominent figures in the serial mascot community, Fred Flintstone and Lucky the Leprechaun, at a little bar in a busy strip mall called The Lookout Lounge. The place seemed innocuous enough, soft lighting illuminating an oak and leather establishment with thick timbers and low ceilings. A brown bear crooned in the corner with a jazz accompaniment. He wore a light blue turtleneck sweater that read, Sugar Bear. We sat down with Lucky and Fred at one of the high top tables. I say, 19... We used to come here all the time after after shooting all day on the set. You, you remember that, don't you, Fred? Oh, boy. I remember a time we'd finish up, I'd say... Typically around 11 at night. Mm. And 
we'd come back here and I would just drink a handle <laughs> of Macallan. Just, I, they would give me the bottle and a glass and I'd chuck the glass out the window and say, what, what the fuck do you think you're doing with that now? And everyone would laugh and I'd, I'd drink it, uh, John Belushi style animal house right in front of them. Most everything after that is a blur though, of course. It became clear that these guys were bummed out that they lost their friend. We poked and prodded about the murder, but they always changed sure, the topic. Sad and all that we Mikey is gone, but what are you gonna do about it? What worrying yourself over who and why isn't gonna bring him back now, is it? Eventually, I had had enough and pressed harder about our investigation. Listen, We've, we've put a lot on the line to get here. We've really stuck our necks out, and we are just trying to find answers for Mikey and his family. And if you're not looking to help us, maybe we go talk to Count Jocula. You know, his marshmallows have been rated better than yours at times. Okay. You want to know the truth about Mikey? I'll get you there. But you might not like what you find. We paid our tab and then walked to the rear exit of the bar. Instead of emerging into the alley, the back door led us through the brewery portion of the bar. The dank, sharp smell of barley grew as we passed larger and larger silver tanks. When we reached the back of the factory floor, Lucky walked to a small door set into a deep, concrete section. A small bee guarded the entrance. Lucky spoke up. They're with me. The bee moved to the side. As we passed, I could see he wore the tiniest orange t-shirt I had ever seen. Lucky opened the door, and we entered the dark club. As we moved through what appeared to be a secret private club, we passed by a great deal of dangerous-looking characters. Some we knew, but many we didn't. We saw a tall white rabbit twitching and jumping around. His ears twisted in a helix as he muttered something about not being for kids as he ground his teeth. <laughs> as we continued, we walked past lounge booths with shiny mirror tables on them. At one sat the long-lost Toucan Sam, along with a duck that looked vaguely familiar. Their table was covered in a mess of rainbow-colored crumbs. They imbibed heavily. We walked past Count Chocula sitting at a table with Frankenberry. Chocula was greedily drinking some milk, only not from a bottle. Frankenberry just gave us a dead stare back at us as we passed him. Once we had passed through the entire club, we found another door. On either side of it were guards, one human and one dog. The human guard was dressed like a cop and had a big bushy black mustache. The dog was short but massively built. Getting closer, I noticed the dog wore a red shirt and had some type of burglar mask obscuring his face. He didn't seem pleased as we approached. Hey, a cookie cop. Listen. My friends here want to talk with the wolf. I don't think so, Lucky. Nobody talks to the wolf without an invitation. And you and I both know these fellas haven't got one. I know that. You know I do. They seem to be... real curious. 
At this point, Lucky looked both ways before he leaned in close to the cookie cop. The dog growled even louder. They want to know about little Mikey. <laughs> Was that so? Well, in that case, I think we can certainly allow for a brief meeting with Mr. Wolf now, can't we? Follow me, boys. The cookie cop and his dog stood to the side, and he opened the door. As we followed, Lucky led us ahead of him, and the door shut immediately after me, leaving Lucky outside. Come on then, lads, this way. We'll head to the wolf, and you can ask him anything you like. Uh, but first, I want to show you something. Let's go visit me friend the cookie crook. It's along this way. We followed the cop and his dog, and it was around this time I began to suspect that he wasn't actually a member of law enforcement, and I became worried that we may have bitten off more than we could chew. I wanted to learn the truth of Little Mikey, but at what cost? We went down two flights of stairs in a dimly lit stairwell and then down a hallway. When we came to a large intersection, we took a left. As we approached the first stop on the Cookie Cops tour, I began to hear ravenous growls and snarls, much more crazed than a dog, coming from what seemed to be a pit in the center of the room. In the middle of the pit, I saw a young man strapped to a chair, and I suddenly realized why Detective Mills hadn't run into any of the Crispies for a few weeks. Sitting in the chair was a badly beaten and bruised crackle. He was covered in blood from the many bite marks inflicted by the wild honeycombs, which were, for the time being, restrained by chain leashes, just barely out of the reach of the young Crispy. At the other end of the chains was a large man in a purple shirt and a giant cookie hat. His face was obscured with a bandit mask, just like the dog. I could just make out the questions with which he interrogated Crackle. You tell me what I want to know, and maybe I'll make this quick on you. Ooh, not the answer I wanted to hear. Shall we continue on to Mr. Wolf then, boys? We quickly hurried away from the gruesome scene and were ushered into a small back room. Initially, we were just glad to be anywhere other than where we had just been. But that didn't last long. We entered a small office, seemingly with only one door in or out. Seated next to us, on the wall, was a frail old man, with his hood drawn, hunched over a small cane. He paid us no attention as we continued further into the room. At the back, behind a large wooden desk, sat a large wolf in a dark crimson jacket, zipped up by a golden zipper. He was writing in a bound notebook. As we slowly approached with the cookie cop, the wolf looked up at us and stood. Do you know what Nemesis means? A righteous infliction. He continued on on an odd tirade about raising pigs and the best way to feed them. Good job looked at me nervously, and not simply because he kept kosher. We started to back out of the room when the old man intervened. Now, now, Mr. Wolf. Let's not get these young lads too riled up. Mr. Wolf stopped and took a deep breath, staring at us squarely in the eyes. Eventually, he sat back down. The small man stood and shuffled over to us. Once he stopped, he slowly pulled his hood to reveal a magnificent crimson hat, replete with prints of tiny chocolate chip cookies. We realized now we were tangling with a wizard. I'm the wizard, Cookie Jarvis, and I've been in this business 
for a long time. One thing I've realized over the years is that you've got to have balance in any working force or relationship. That's what we do here, is maintain that balance. Now, every once in a while, the balance will be disturbed. Perhaps everything must now be reduced sugar, or people want to stop feeding red number five to their children, and we all have to adapt. But mind you that balance is always restored, and this is only achieved by the willingness to do anything, anything that is necessary to restore the balance. Regardless of what you might think the consequences to be. At this point, we abandoned our quest for truth and justice and decided our lives should come first, at least this time. We turned to Bolt but realized our feet were stuck to the ground by some magical force. The wizard threw back his cloak and revealed a full suit of terrible crimson leather armor. The terror grew in our minds like a dark cloud covering a sunny day, only much darker into the deepest, darkest depths of despair. From behind his back, the wizard drew a thin cookie wand and began muttering a diabolical incantation as sparks flew from the wand and the maelstrom of winds of pure cookie evil erupted from the whites of his eyes. And now, a few words. David, in your own words, what is a vamp? A vamp is a, uh, a type of blood-sucking humanoid that uh, has not fully evolved into a full-on vampire. It must go through and an, a um, rite of passage via eating an entire goat by unhinging its jaw before it can become a full-fledged vampire. A vamp. Nolan, in your own words, what is tatting? Tatting is the thing that you do that isn't quite tattling on someone, but it gives the suggestion that someone has done something bad to a figure of authority therefore giving them the idea to blame someone for the thing that's just been done. Tatting. Brett, in your own words, what is a raglan? A raglan uh, is a small strip of leather used to connect the front axle and rear axle of a car in the event of a central axle fallout. A raglan. This has been A Few Words. Well, I must say, it's 
pretty interesting story. Too bad we didn't get any of it right. Well, well. They can't all be zingers. You got that right. I don't know, I just feel like, um, you know, we did our best. That's all anyone can ask, really. You passed the cereal? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thanks. How can we, uh, how can we apologize to all the people that we've wronged in this episode? Where can they find all of our apologies, good job? Well, Stephen? It's, it's, it's fine. It's okay. If you, uh, liked our show, there's, uh, there's some other ones out there. Check out, uh, you know... Facebook or Instagram or, you know, our website or whatever. And, uh, I don't know. Maybe we'll have one next month. That's if we can stop eating this delicious cereal. I don't know why you'd want to. It's so crispy and abundant and good. Eat the cereal. Eat the cereal. Eat the cereal. Eat the cereal. After the Plot is produced by Brent Lacey and Nolan Lacey. Additional talent is provided by David Allman. Brent Lacey edits the show. Theme music was composed by Jared Bookbinder. Sound effects are provided courtesy of freesound.org. Additional music today is credited to Kevin McLeod. All of your nightmares are real, and so is the thing in your closet. After the Plot is a production of Final Plank Media. Uh, th- thanks you, uh, thank everybody. Should I try that again? Yeah, let's... let's... <laughs> conjugate that properly.